Um, and there's something that happens and then something that we do. And it says this, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, a couple months ago, I read a long format article in the New York Times. It was written by Dan Barry. And the name of the article was, I, I want to be forgiven, I just want to be forgiven. And what it was is it was a kind of an intimate, up-close story about these convicted felons in the state of Minnesota who had been already convicted, had, been, had served time, and now they were out and they had done amazing things with their life, and yet they were still petitioning the state board for a governmental pardon. And so in this article, it was highlighting something, it was highlighting that the practice of pardoning has come from this Judeo-Christian ethic. And they were saying that the, Dan Barry was describing it and he said, um, uh, we know that a leader or in uh, Judeo-Christian ethic, a leader gets his power from God and so we think that um, there is a similar power in the authorities of earth in pardoning. So it's, we're mimicking what God does in this act of pardoning. So it, it, it went on to tell them is that all of these candidates go before this board, this pardon board, and then they have 10 minutes to convince the board that they're worthy of a pardon. And then I read this sentence, it was written by Dan Barry in the middle of this article and he recognized something. And it was amazing, it was amazing that it was in the Times, it just said this. It says, no, and he's the one writing this. He says, no one can expect mercy. No one has the right to be forgiven. Pardons live beyond the parameters of the criminal code's black and white text. They are, by nature, extraordinary. <laughs> so we're gonna pray in a second, and we have much less than 10 minutes as we pray to God. But are we trying to convince them of how much we've changed and how much we've done and how much we deserve his mercy or forgiveness? No. I'll answer that really quickly, no. We know we're convicted against his statutes, his holiness, or perfection, and what we're doing is we're saying, but you will pardon us because of Jesus. So that's what gives us you some confidence to even approach him with all of our junk. So let's pray together, individually, but we're doing it together. And at the end, we're gonna find pardon from our holy and great God. Pray with me, our Father and our God, um, we are boldly walking in to have an audience with you. And we know you're gonna listen to us right now. And you're gonna to listen to us because of Jesus alone. So would you hear the terrible things of thought, mind, and hand that we bring before you? And would you forgive and would you pardon because of Jesus alone? And so we continue to pray.
Father, we need more than this time. We need more than 10 minutes. But our confidence is not what we unearth and bring to you. That's not even our confidence of how we repent or confess or our confidence this afternoon is Christ alone. That is all we have. So would you give us your forgiveness and assure our hearts of your forgiveness by your spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, you are so forgiven. You you are so forgiven. So listen to Ephesians 4.32 one more time. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Your pardon. The scripture that we're going to read for today's teaching comes from Psalm 4. And next week, I'm going to do the other part of Psalm 4. And so this is just three verses. Here it is from Psalm 4. This is a Psalm of David. He says this, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, I I used to um, subscribe to this journal and... The title of the journal was Ruminate. And of course, it comes from rumination, which is a really gross idea. It's, it's about a cow. You know, a cow eats the cud, the grass. And sometimes before it goes through the five stomachs, is it five or four? Is it five? <laughs> um, he burps it up, and it's cud, and he chews it again. And then he swallows it again. It's gross. That's where we get ruminate. But, but we've used ruminate for something that you think on for a long time. Like you think on it again, and then you think on it again. You chew on it again and again. Okay. I've been chewing on Psalm 4 for about three and a half weeks. I, I, I knew I was, I was going to talk about it now. But I've been chewing on it a lot. And so I wanted to split up into two parts. And the reason why is... Um, this first part was so kind of stunning to me that I said, oh, we just gotta, we just gotta camp on this, these small ideas because the, they're short, but they're huge. And the first part of Psalm 4 is just about communication. It's about us to God, God to us, and then there's another little part of con- uh, communication is us to ourselves. It talks about the way we talk to ourselves. And so I, here's the shape of it. It's going to go so quickly is um, what we see in Psalm 4 is there's a fitness to be able to talk to God. And then it describes something else. It says, okay, but there are the empty calories that we stuff into our souls that are not good communication. And then it lands and it says, there, there's some delicious flavors of the favoritism of God that will convince you to approach God. Okay, in communication, prayer, if you want to call it that. So let's, let's look at the, like the fitness to talk. There's a fitness to communication, and this is what I mean by this, is 
if I'm gonna talk to an owner or a boss or a recruiter, I'm gonna bring some measure of fitness to him or her when I want to talk to them. And so what is that fitness? Well, the fitness is your resume, your curriculum vitae, your internships, your experiences, your know-how. You're bringing some sort of fitness and saying, I, I'm actually, I'm able to talk to you because of all of this. Because if you didn't have this, why would you talk to them? Uh, another example is this, is if I'm gonna text or email or call, let's call them a very big deal. I don't care in what sphere of life, from celebrity or a person of import, business, whatever it is, I'm going to bring a certain fitness to that conversation. I'm gonna to have to have some purpose or rationale to contact him. What I don't wanna do is just contact them and say, hey, big deal, can you help me? No, you're bringing something that the big deal is gonna to want to see. Because why would you contact them? Why would you contact them? Um, here's another example. If you know that there's a little glitch or a little hitch between you and somebody else, this is what you can't do. You can't just show up and start talking Dodgers and weather and pickleball or whatever it is. Is you know something, oh, there's a fitness that happens, has to happen between you and me before we can talk about the Dodgers. It happens with your spouse, right? Like if you know that there's something between you guys, you don't just say, oh my goodness, it was crazy. Did you see what we got in the mail today? No, you're like, no, I gotta settle, right? I gotta settle between my spouse but there's a fitness that has to happen for communication to happen. So this is a huge surprise. Psalm four, huge surprise. Because what David says is remarkable and it almost seems disrespectful. This is to the biggest deal in the universe and he says, answer me when I call. What? That sounds like, pick up. Pick up when I call. Pick up, don't let it go to voice, pick up. What? He's the biggest deal. And then he says this, what's my fitness in coming to you to communicate? You're my fitness. You're the God that's my fitness. God of my righteousness. That's what, that, that's what he uses in verse one. And, and check this out. Every other God is gonna demand something of you except our God. And every other God is gonna demand that you dance for them. You perform, you muscle up for them. Um, you must be fit for other gods. But David is saying this is no, God, the one I'm talking to, he's my fitness, he's my righteousness. Um, I read an article in the National Geographic, and it had, because great photos too in the NG there, um, and it had this photo of where a Buddhist monk had been praying for years, and the grooves in the hardwood floor were of his knees and of his legs, his shin bone, and of the, you call knuckles of your toes? Do your toes have knuckles? You know what I mean but there were indentations. And this article, and National Geographic is pretty anti-religious, but they were just exclamatory over, wow, look at that 
that's incredible. Look at the devotion. And everybody around is amazed. They'd come for miles to look at the indentations in the board and say, wow, look at that fitness. Look at that fitness. But David throws that out. I don't care about the indentations in hardwood. God is my fitness. And then he says this, I've tasted this before. When God had no discernible reason to listen to me, David, he listened to me because of himself. And then David classifies this appropriately because this is only the first verse. He classifies it. How does he classify it? He goes, oh yeah, that's what we call grace. See, he says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. It's not because I'm showing up fit. Um, There's a great old hymn, Come Ye Sinners, and it captures this fitness. And it says this, let not conscience make you linger, right, to go to him. Don't let your conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. That's it. That's it. I need you. Answer me, it's grace because you make me fit. All right, so that's how David establishes this first part. I am showing up to you, God, because you make me fit. Hear me. And I gotta tell you, it won't be because of your New Year's resolutions that will make you become fit for your Heavenly Father. You just do it because he makes you fit. Think of the confidence there. And I think this is a bizarre nature of Christianity is people are saying, no, I think I want a religion where I can make myself fit. Because what are you doing? You're giving up control. Okay, two. Let's talk about some empty calories. The voice changes in this psalm in verse two. And now it changes to a different speaker and now it's God communicating to us. So he agrees with the truth that David said in verse one, okay, this God makes me fit. Now it's God's turn to us. He says this, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So David just told us the reality. God makes us fit to talk to him. But this is the highlight that God wants to mark out. We do something incredibly different than that, than just showing up and saying, you make me fit. We talk to ourselves more than we listen to God, and we, this is what we do. We accept our self-pumping up and our self-fitness. We accept our self-fitness as acceptability. We like, nope, that's, I'm gonna try a little harder. I'm gonna work a little more. This, we cannot stop doing, trying to make ourselves fit. All right, been a pastor in ministry 20 plus years, you've heard that. Okay. I mean this kindly, it's not just this community, it's every community I've been a part of. People cannot wait to tell me what they've quit or what they've started. 
I, if it's smoking, drinking, uh, if it's uh, playing too, uh, like whatever, whatever their thing is, they're like, I can't wait to tell you that I've stopped it or I've started doing a new thing. Like one guy said, I've started to read Calvin's commentaries, but he couldn't wait to tell me about it. I, I, I waited like a month. I was like, hey, where are you in Calvin's commentaries? He's like, oh yeah, I, 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 I sort of got, I got sidetracked. I don't, I, see, the point is not for you to read Calvin's commentaries. I just don't care. <laughs> Right? Or, or, or this is um, s- s- some sweet lady could not wait to tell me that she visits homeless people in a Pasadena park three times a week. And the same thing. I was like, I just asked her like six months later. I was like, hey, how's that going? Oh, yeah, I, got, it's, I, yeah, I don't do that anymore. But you just couldn't wait. Why? Because people are craving for me to compliment them and say, you are making yourself fit. Well, look at you. Your, your spiritual monsters are getting fitter. They, want, they crave this. Um, or, or it's this, is people, pastor, pastor, we want to tell you how much we're going to give. And we want you to reflect back, thank you so much. That's incredible. What, they want the pump of fitness, self-fitness. This is what St. Augustine said. When we're looking for fitness, it's vain words. It's all about self. He said this, um, and the the Latin that he's famous for is, this is a description of how sinful we are. Homo incurvatus in se. And what that means is sin is this. This is the way he described it. Sin is this, the human being curved in on itself. That's like the definition of vain words. Oh, I would like to hear some words about me. <laughs> That's vain words. And, he's, and this is the voice of God. He goes, how long? How long will you try to satisfy yourself with these empty calories of self-complimenting fitness? How long? How long are you going to do that? Are you going to just keep on doing that, thinking that you're going to advance spiritually by getting self-complimenting fitness? Or getting it for others, right? Okay. Now, this is part seems like a little bit of a downer because you're like, oh, great. I can't get compliments from people. Oh, great. I guess I'm just some lowly worm and I can't get pep talks or boost my self-esteem or get it from others. No, no. Th- this is the exquisite part. Listen to this part. And it's the third thing. We need to taste something that tastes better than our complimenting self-talk. Right? We have tried to extract all of these flavors from our opinions of ourself or others' opinions of ourself. And David lays it on us. He goes, but know something. Now David's talking again. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. There's this idea of holiness in the Old Testament. And I've got to tell you this. This is almost, it's like it just keeps on popping up all the time. People think holiness is this. They think it's pious, flawless behavior and conscientious rule following equals a holy person. And I'm just telling you that is our baggage, it's our assumptions of what holiness is, 
but it's not a biblical understanding of holiness. Holiness has always been this. A special favorite set-apartness for a very special, wonderful use. Okay. Most of the time, I'm the only one that goes to Costco in my family. I will admit this publicly. I love Costco. I love how crazy busy the Alhambra Costco is. Yeah, I'm crazy, right? I love the cool things I can get at Costco. I love that treats aisle, you know, by the mixed nuts and the gro- I love that treats aisle. And I make sure to get the treats because I make the lunches, right? But do you know what I do with my Costco haul when I come home? I take those treats and I put them in another bin and I put them up high in the pantry. Why? Because they are special. (laughs) And only I have access to them. (laughs) Or the lunches. They are set aside for a very special use. And most of the use is for me. Those are holy snacks. They're holy snacks. They're set apart specially for, they're pulled away from the common Costco hall. Let me give you another one. Um, I, I like T-bone steak. I don't eat it very often, but I like it. Look, there's a holy part to T-bone steak. It's that part. I eat that part last. And it is a holy part of the T-bone steak. If you want to know what T-bone steak holiness is, you're looking at it in that part. It is holy. It is set apart specially for what use? To go into my belly. But last, it's special. That's holiness. That's holiness. Here's holiness. Um, We can't keep strawberries or blueberries in my house because people, we just have a lot of people. (laughs) And if they see we have strawberries or blueberries, they're going to get the blueberries. Now, and the strawberries. Now, we know this is like when you pick out your strawberries, wherever you go, you look at the thing. Because you know they always sneak in the rotten ones at the bottom. You know, it's just unethical grocerism. Okay, and so, but, but what you do is you find good thing of strawberries, but when you get home and you pop open the blueberries or the strawberries, what are you doing if you're the first person to the carton? Especially with blueberries, what are you doing? <laughs> you're not, t- you're like, nope, that's a big one, that's a big one, that's a big one. They are holy. They're special and they're set apart. What have I described? Pleasurable, wonderful things, favorited things. If you want to know what holiness is in the scriptures, please, please, please do not think it's behaviorism. Think flavors that are awesome and special and treasure. You're like, that's mine. And you know what? That's us. That's us. That's what God says. When I look at you, you are my special flavors, my T-bone sections, my, my best blueberries. I'm setting you apart and you're, gonna, and you're gonna be holy. You know what I love about, well, I probably shouldn't go into this, but you know what I love about the Lord of the Rings, especially when you read through, is that every single character, no matter how bad, has a purpose. Like in Tolkien's universe, every character is holy because Even people who hate on Gollum, you're like, you little rat, I hope you get it in the end. And Gandalf's like, what? 
There may be a special purpose for that young hobbit. You're like, really? Even he is holy? He's holy. He's set apart for some purpose that we don't know about. And you can only, you can only be holy if he says, I treasure you, and I know what the you is going to do. That's holiness. And so listen to what David says. But know that the Lord has set apart, that's holiness, the godly for himself. Whoa. We have the special favoritism of God. And you're like, well, you know, you, didn't, you don't know what I did last night, or you don't know what I've been doing, what I've been, what? That's why David says, yeah, he's the one that makes me fit. He's the one that makes me fit, and I'm a favorite. Um, so what is David's application from those implication? It's really simple. He hears me. I talk to him all the time. Let me take a tiny stab at something. Do you want to know why many of us are prayerless? We think, A, it's about my fitness. I got to get my fitness. I got to work out a little. I got to spiritually work out a little harder. We think it's about our fitness. And B, we're either disgusted or overly impressed with our fitness. And if you're overly disgusted or you're overly impressed with your fitness, you will not go to him. But if you say, you're my fitness, and I am favored, I'll talk to you all the time. Let's pray. Father, you know, you know this. You know my journey with you. You know that I've always been suspicious. You can't be that good. And yet, every time I go to your truth, I poke around and you're that good. You're better than what I thought. You think of me better than I think of myself. You think of my brothers and sisters better than I thought of them. Father, thank you for that goodness. Have that goodness be absorbed in my own heart, absorbed in the hearts of my friends. And may we just go to you. In Jesus' name, amen.